So today's message is called How to Live When the World is Ending. Have you, maybe you've caught yourself saying it, maybe you've heard others saying it. I've noticed recently there seems to be an uptick in people saying, oh, the end is coming. It's getting close. Look at it out there. It's bad. It's bad. Have you said that? Anyone here said that before? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was a very strong hand that went up in the very back corner there. <laughs> yeah, and others of you have heard it, right? And if you haven't said it or heard it, you've probably thought it a little bit. As things just kind of are, are rough out there. It's ugly. It feels like it's the end of the world. The end times are a-coming. It's getting close. But... Allison did a good job of framing this on Wednesday in, in the email for us. Isn't the reality that it's always been really bad? I mean, think about it. Like you said, they were, they were throwing children into the Nile, and, and there's all these awful things going on. There's all these awful things going on now, and yet right here and now there's this ongoing increase in cynicism, an ongoing increase in pessimism, an increase in fear, an increase of people saying, just have faith in the light of that fear. And that there's further polarization and everything is messy and frankly, we all just bemoan and cry, come Lord Jesus, because that is the true cry of our hearts. But the reality is people are less hopeful now for the future than they have ever been before. So basically, things are worse than ever and it's only going to get worse. Welcome to Hope Church. We are here to bring you the good news of Jesus Christ in this place today. So, we have been going through the book of Mark as we are going through chapter by chapter seeking to follow Jesus. He says, follow me. And he said that way back in Mark 1, follow me. And here we are in Mark 13, seeking to follow Jesus. And this chapter, Mark 13, it's all about the end of the world. You guys read it in prep for this week? Some of you wrote it in prep this week. It's all about the end of the world. And frankly, it doesn't feel all that encouraging at first. So Jesus describes at length throughout this chapter what to expect as the very world crumbles and the Son of Man who will return victorious. So the world's ending. We're longing for Jesus to return. Our natural question is when? When? When is this all happening? And the disciples, of course, asked the very question, when will all things be accomplished? And Jesus talks if you have a red-letter Bible, he talks for nearly two whole pages, full pages, all red letters. That was my favorite thing as a kid. Try and find the pages where it's all red letters. And they would have found it right here in Mark 13. And what we learn is when he finally answers their question of when, he quickly reveals that when is the wrong question. So let's go to Mark 13 together. Our focus today is verses 32 through 36. Let's hear the true word of the Lord. This is Jesus Christ talking. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard. Keep awake. 
For you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home. He puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Thank God for the reading of his true word. So to their question of when, Jesus essentially says, I don't know. Wait. says, Jesus, have, have you ever asked someone a question before and and they start to answer and they just kind of keep going on and on and on and on and you start to realize I don't think they know the answer to my question. You've ever experienced that? Yeah, maybe you've been on the other side of that where you're trying to talk your way to an answer. Yeah, that's not what Jesus is doing here. But what is he doing instead? He's reframing our question to retrain our mind to on how to see things with a kingdom perspective. He does this Almost in all his teaching, he is reframing our mind to see things from a godly kingdom perspective. But the idea of Jesus not knowing, it's, it's almost unfathomable to, to think of Jesus, who's fully divine, fully, fully God, not knowing the hour. Now, there's been a lot of ink spilled over this throughout the centuries of trying to wrestle with this truth. And most commonly accepted is the idea that when Jesus came to earth, he willingly and humbly embraced being fully human, laying down by choice his omniscience, that is, his complete knowledge of all things. So we hear that, and at the same time, as we read through the Gospels, we also see time and time again that Jesus knows things that no mere human would know such as his conversation with the woman at the well, or, uh, okay, we're good. My dad's good, so, cool. (laughs) Thank you, Mike. Jesus knew my dad was good, too. But there are times when Jesus knows things that no human would know. He's sitting with the woman at the well, and he knows all about her life, right? Or he's even talking about what's going to come in the end times. No mere human would know that. We know Jesus fully divine, fully God, and fully human. But what else do we know? How does this all, how does this all work? We know from Jesus's words himself that he only does what the Father wills, and he only speaks the words the Father has given him. From his first, uh, first, first recorded words in the temple of, did you not know I must be at my Father's house? He's a little 12-year-old Jesus. To his very last words on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus' only concern was to do the will of his Father. And so if Jesus doesn't know, but the Father does, and Jesus is okay with himself not knowing, then we are okay with it too. At the heart of it, we'll never fully understand this because it's wrapped in the beautiful mystery of the Trinity. It is wrapped in the beautiful relationship between the three unique persons of the one true God. 
And so I delight in the fact that Jesus says, only the Father knows, and I trust him in that. But even without the answer to when, Mark includes this whole chapter still with all these crazy details of what to expect as time comes to its close with this earth. Why does he do that? I think in part, it's to present Jesus as the Lord over all history and as the one in control over all events, which may bring trouble to us, those in his church. So what does that mean? That we should in no way be startled or dispirited by what we see or what we have to endure through this life. Because our Lord has foretold these things. Better still, he didn't just tell us that things are going to get rough. He didn't abandon us to this hardship and say, good luck. No, he is here with us in his Holy Spirit, which resides within us. So if the question isn't when, then what? And even though the answer to our first question, when, it's not answer, what he gives us is so much better. That's part of that reframing he does. Now be honest with yourselves for a moment. Would you actually want to know when? Like, like, even, you've heard this question asked about, like, would you want to know the moment, the day, and time of your death? Have you ever thought about that? Would you actually want to know the exact time you were going to die? And how does that adjust how you live? Quite frankly, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Because it could be tomorrow. It could be 40 years from now. It could be anywhere in between or beyond. And I don't think I want to know. But what do we know? that we all will die, Jesus will come again, and one of those will happen first. (laughs) How we live in the meantime does not change. It should not change. And whether it happens tomorrow or way in the future, the how doesn't change. We are drawing ever closer to the end. That's the, that's the reality of time. Uh, the moment we are born, we're inching closer to our death. The end is not some far-off thing that will happen then. That's not just the end of our lives, but the end of all this. It's a thing that is present now as we're actively moving toward it. We're actively getting closer with each hour, each minute. We know as we read all the way back in Genesis— that sin corrupts the entire world. The entire world, all of creation. And since its inception, all creation now groans as it moves toward its ultimate destruction. The end, in a way, is now. This is not any doomsday preaching, though. I'm not saying, like, you know, turn or burn here. (laughs) It's not a grace-filled message, but it's a This is not a doomsday message. It's to acknowledge the end is coming. The end is coming. And we know not the hour, but the end is coming. We know if it it might be an hour, it might be a year, it might be thousands of years yet until the true end of the age and the promised restoration of all things come through the Son. But Jesus doesn't tell us the when. He's not really concerned about the when because it's not the when that matters. He gives us something better. He gives us the how how to live when the world is ending. And that's what we're talking about today is the how. 
And I dare say how we live, how Jesus lays it out for us, is to live with expectancy and vigilance. You see, he is more concerned not with the when, he's more concerned with us living for God in a world where he's largely ignored. He's more concerned with us keeping our eyes on him in a world of distraction and seduction. He's more concerned with how we live as we seek his kingdom when the stakes are life and death. What does Jesus keep on saying in this passage? Did you catch it throughout this chapter? But in these short verses, stay awake. Stay awake. That's not just for you who are falling asleep during this message. It's to stay awake in this life. Four times, four times in a very small passage, he says, stay awake. Here's the thing. If Jesus says anything, it's important. If he repeats himself, it is super important. If he says it four times, you better drop all you're doing and listen and stay awake. That's our call today, to stay awake. So what does it mean to stay awake? He also says to stay on guard in light of the end of the world. I do believe it means living our lives with expectancy and vigilance. If you're like me, you like that word vigilance. Makes you think of Batman. Vigilante, dark crusader, dark knight. Don't you want to live with vigilance? Maybe not. I think we do. I think we want to live with vigilance. I think we want to live with expectancy, but we sometimes need these gospel good news reminders of what that actually means and how we actually go about it. We do not want to sleep through this life. There is important work to be done. So expectancy, what does that mean? What does it mean to live with expectancy? For Jesus to reveal himself in our lives right here and right now. We expect it. We believe it. And we also live expecting and believing he will reveal himself when he comes again. And so we expect him to work, not just in this world, but to work through us as we expect the end of all things. And we also have vigilance, which means to be hardly focused on what matters, which means saying a thousand no's to lesser things so that we can say yes to the right thing. It means not being distracted or seduced by these lesser things of the world that seek to tell us that they are important when indeed they're not. And it is to have vigilance to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus Christ. I know some of you have experienced this. I know I've experienced this a bit as well, where you have had the, uh, been on that sacred ground with someone as they're nearing the end of their days. And you're walking with these individuals, and they're, they're getting closer and closer to their, the end here on earth. They have this expectation that it's, it's, it's closing time. And what happens what, have you noticed what happens in these individuals? What will happen for many of us? For one, there's a certain perspective. When you have very little to look ahead, and this earth, we have much to look ahead beyond, but 
and so much to look back on. There's a perspective of what matters really comes into stark focus. And all that stuff that doesn't matter quickly fades. For all of us, we'll reach the end of our lives, and some of us, all of us, will carry certain regrets. Whether we say, I live with no regrets or not, the reality is when we're in that moment, we start to think of things done and and not done. Things said and unsaid. We can't help but in those moments to be deeply sentimental. We remember fondly the, the people, the memories, those profound and sacred moments throughout our days where God's kingdom broke through, whether it's through our family time around the dinner or the laughter of our spouse or that beautiful sunset or that perfect fishing lake or that all of that. We have perspective. Regrets tend to come in focus. We get deeply sentimental. Something true of each and every one of us that none of us want to get to the end of our earthly time and look back with the shocking realization that we wasted our lives. And if Jesus were to indeed come tomorrow, we would not want to reach the end of our days with the knowledge that we had wasted our lives, or even worse, forfeited our souls. What does it look like to gain the whole world but to lose our soul? May it not be us. That's why Jesus encourages us, commands us, stay awake. Stay awake. That's why we are here today because we long to live with expectancy and vigilance knowing that there is kingdom work to be done, that God is at work here and now, that there are people close to us that do not yet know Christ. And so we will again recalibrate ourselves and remember what matters and how to live so that we don't waste this life. Let's talk a moment about expectancy. When you hear your word expect, expectancy, a a natural thing that's real in our world is when someone's expecting a baby. That's kind of a first thing that comes to mind when you hear that word. Oh, are you expecting? Don't ask that question ever. Are you expecting? Just let them tell you if they're expecting. (laughs) I don't think it's spoken from experience, but hey, good advice all the same. When you expect a baby, your entire world revolves around that baby. You are preparing, you are preparing, you are preparing. All your conversations tend to revolve around that baby. Your whole life revolves around it. The reality is you must allow that baby to go through its natural progressions until it's ready to arrive. You see, you can't force that baby to come, nor should you. But you prepare yourself for when it does. Everything else revolves around that thing you expect. We believe God is always at work in this world through the power of his Holy Spirit. So we prepare, we position, we align our entire lives around God so that we might respond when he moves. I know some of you are sailors, and I'm not, but I can read online about what you do when you sail, and it's a shocking thing. You need wind to sail. Did you know that? You cannot sail, you cannot produce wind on your own to move your boat, right? If you are out on the water, you cannot sail without wind. What can a sailor do? 
Well, they can do a few things. They can trim the sail. They can position the rudder so that when the wind does indeed come, the boat is going to move. You prepare and you position for it. In our lives, we cannot generate the wind of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we can prepare and position ourselves for when God moves. And we can stay awake. We can stay attentive. We can keep watch and stand guard so that we don't miss it. That's the whole idea about living with expectancy. It's to position our lives to fully revolve around God. It's to make God not, a, not an add-on to our lives, not a thing that's about our lives, or not even a thing that's important in our lives. It is the thing that has the gravitational pull for every single thing within our life. It is our life to follow him, to follow him, to expect him to be ready to move when he does. We follow him with vigilance. So we live with expectancy and follow him with vigilance. Vigilance, focusing on what matters, saying no, hard no to the things that don't, being ruthlessly steadfast in our pursuit of him. Stay awake. Keep watch. Stay at your post, meaning we will do the assignment we have been given. We will be faithful to the calling that God has given to us. You read it in God's word. Be faithful to the calling to what he has given you. It is a high and holy calling. He also says, fan into flames the gift of which I have given you. We steadfastly follow after him because he has called each of us to further his kingdom in our own unique way. That's what this short parable in our passage is that Jesus teaches. It reminds me of if you've ever um, been at a job, right? And you, you, you have your boss is going away for like a week or something. He gives you your list of things you need to accomplish these by the time I'm back. Now, part of you, right, if, because this is like a, a little story, when that boss goes your way, you kind of want to just like live it up a little bit, right? Hey, boss isn't here. We can do what we want. But you also know if that boss comes back and that list isn't done, it's not going to be good. Similarly, if your wife expects you to clean your house when she's away and she comes back and it's not clean, bad news spoken from experience. Don't be like me. Clean that house. Do it first. Do first things first. Do what matters first. We need to be filled with expectancy and vigilance because God is not some distant, far away God. He is right here in our midst doing a beautiful new thing in and through each of us. So we will stay awake to what he is doing. We will be present to him in the here and now and we will also look ahead expecting him to continue to move as we live out our calling, as we work out our salvation with all vigilance to further his kingdom and prepare for his grand return. He's not as some off distant God. His spirit is actively in our midst, actively at work in this world, in and through you. So we will seek first the kingdom. We will not worry about things of this world. We'll seek first the kingdom. 
We will not worry what everyone else is doing. We will seek first the kingdom. We will not concern ourselves with things that rot and rust and fade. We will seek first the kingdom. As we seek the king, we live with purpose and meaning for the things that last. This world fades. Everything in this world will fade. Everything in this world has its expiration date. But his word remains. He remains. His mission remains. His goodness remains. His calling on your life as a child of God created to worship him remains. So will we stay awake? Will we man our post? Will we believe that the work we do is of kingdom importance? May we all stay awake, be attentive to God, because everything around us is a little bit crazy. But we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. And because we're not surprised, because we know who our God is, because we know the end game, because we know all these things, we can have a courageous faith. We can have a faith that doesn't go the way of the world. It goes the way of Jesus. We, we are called to live that way. That's how we are to live when the world's ending. That's how we're called to live every single day, to stay awake. We know all things will fade. We know God has given us a charge. We know what really matters in this life, so we will stay alert. We will be on guard, and we will be about the Father's business. We have a hope. We have a hope, no matter what it looks like out there as a follower of Jesus, that the end of the world is not the end of our life. And until he calls us home, or until he comes again, let's stay awake to the task he has given us. Let's live out our purpose as we man our post. We stand watch. We prepare. We seek his kingdom. And we see his kingdom spread. And we do so knowing that he may not come in our lifetime. But we faithfully get after this kingdom business and trusting it to the next generation and saying, my watch has ended and yours has begun. Now go. Because this work matters to the next and the next and the next. God works. We prepare and posture ourselves for that work. And as we follow the Spirit to be more like Jesus, to be more united in Jesus, we don't just prepare for this future hope. We experience hope here and now. Seeking the kingdom will give us kingdom perspective to see the good right here in our midst. I look out there, I see brokenness and hurt and pain. I can look in here and I can see brokenness, hurt, and pain. And I also see these shining, bright lights of God's grace in every single one of your lives. A kingdom perspective lets us see the good in our midst. A kingdom perspective reminds us of the hope that we always have. A kingdom perspective fills us with a joy that exceeds any circumstance and a peace that surpasses all understanding. So we will stay awake we will see the good news and share the good news and seek the kingdom as we follow our king who says, follow me. Unless you think this is some job that is joyless, 
that makes you want to do all this fun things while the boss is away. Henry Nouwen framed it well in this way. He said, not only did Jesus come to free us from the bonds of sin and death, he also came to lead us into the intimacy of his divine life. That's one of the great gifts that we have this side of eternity. We don't have to wait to go to heaven to be in beautiful union with our God. He came to give us this divine intimacy along with him. He didn't just save us and now he's sitting around waiting. He, he saved us to prepare us to enter fully into what we get to already experience here and now. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's right here. We can experience it now, even though our future hope of heaven will be fully realized at a future date. We can experience it now. Let none of us waste this life. Let's not be concerned with the when. Let's not spill any more ink over that. Let's seek first the kingdom. Not be distracted. Not be seduced. And let's live with expectancy and vigilance. Because we know, we trust, we believe God is at work. He is present here and now. So let's stay awake. And let's be a part of this glorious work. Until either we, he brings us home, or he comes again. You ready to stay awake? Stay awake. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Great God, we, we love your constant reframing of how we think, Lord, and the ways that you can transform our minds as we uh, seek to bury ourselves in you, Lord. And so this morning, even as we sit alongside of those disciples and have the big question of when on our hearts, you can say, when's not the right question? And so God, continue in your grace and your mercy to reorient us around your kingdom way. Continue to give us eyes to see what you are doing here and now and what you long to do through us. God, we think too throughout this message that there are things that we'll be convicted of as we listen to this and the things that are distracting us, the things that are staying in our way. So God, in your grace and in your power and your Holy Spirit, will you illuminate those things and give us the grace to show us the way out of them and back to you. May our lives fully revolve around you because we return to how we began. You are such an awesome God, worthy of all worship, glory, honor, and praise. You alone are worthy of our praise. And so we offer it back to you now, knowing it's not enough, but knowing it's what we have. And so thank you, Lord, for meeting us in this place. Thank you for being who you are, for doing what you do, and giving us a hope and a joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding as we seek your kingdom. May your kingdom come, your will be done in this place and in our lives. And together, God's people say, Amen.